Hey, everybody, Scott Malcolm here from Money Mechanics. Just a quick message to say any information that we share during this podcast is general information only. Please do not act on that information without considering the appropriateness towards your specific needs and outcomes. Ideally, we suggest that you go and meet with a financial planner and get personal advice. along to another episode of Looking Under the Hood, the uh, Money Mechanics podcast where we are unpacking money and going a bit deep around some of the, the variety of things that can happen in the financial world. And I'm really excited today to be talking to someone in the, the property space, but uh, also a, a fellow podcaster and producer, Elizabeth Jackson, who is a property strategist and producer and host of the Hashtag Got Money podcast. If you haven't checked it out, go and check it out and I'll, I'll put the details in our show notes. And uh, also on Joy FM in uh, Melbourne, if you're uh, live and on the road. Elizabeth, welcome. Thanks for coming along. Thank you, darling, for having me on your show. I'm so excited. I was so stoked when you called me the other day, just telling me that this is the space that you're in, because I feel like it's just not enough information about financial well-being and welfare. And, you know, it's such a convoluted space that it's really great that someone like you that can take a really complicated information and translate that into English that even a layman can understand. So I, I commend you for doing this. I commend you for setting this up and about time, really. And I love having you on my show too, because, you know, it's for us, it's about kicking around and helping hmm. particularly people in our community get some real substance from the hashtag got money show so thank you for when you join me on my show i appreciate it absolute pleasure elizabeth i love to kick my show off on the fact again we're all born into this financial system so the question i like to ask all my guests is what's one of your early joyful or happy memories when it comes to money it's really interesting my dad was a builder hmm and um, my father and mother had five children in three and a half years. It was such a oh, feat, wow. no TV in the bedrooms. <laughs> and um, Dad used to have us on site with him, and we'd paint fences. We'd all have a brush and we'd be painting a fence. And it was a really joyful memory for me because it was about Dad. Dad was all into prosperity. My father had no financial limits, mm. but it was also about that connection of being a participant in that. So, yeah, that's one of my early memories. I remember looking at a photo a couple of years ago when I was at home and there's actually a photo of us wee kids with paintbrushes painting one of the fences, and I'm like, oh, God, I remember us doing that. It was yeah. great. Yeah, Dad was wonderful. He, I'd see him write checks for $200,000, and I didn't blink back then. I just thought it was quite normal to pay that kind of money out to your trades or your people that worked around you. And that level of financial nous was just a part of my upbringing. Yeah, wow. Great story. And it's so true because it is a learned behaviour and experience. And so for a lot of people who haven't had exposure to it, it's one of those things, and you, you would see it as well in, in your work, that 
people can upskill around it, but it's often a bit uncomfortable and challenging and probably even overwhelming the, the first time that you are signing a, a $200,000 check or a $2 million check these days if you're buying a, a property in Melbourne for argument's sake. You know, I, I work in the, a lot in the first-time homebuyer space now too, mm. and there's kind of a trigger point inside of that where you've actually just got to walk through the fear just walk through it and just trust that you've got the right people with you to get you through to the other side because that fear is going to exist for you when you buy anything larger than a jacket or a car. Mm. <laughs> when you're looking at yeah. half a million, two million, three million dollars spent, there's fear and rightly so. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that natural response and I think, again, it's that unknown, but as you say, the, the second, like the first time you buy a property and you go through the process and the mechanics of that or the first time you buy onto the share market, there is that initial, what have I done? This is new. This is different. Where, where did that money just go? Did I get something for that? Has something happened? And I guess today I really wanted to talk about your insights around property and just talking to people, be it first home buyers, be it uh, investors for the first time. It's never been a better time to buy property in regards to, especially first homeowners. Like I've never seen so many schemes in place, first homeowners grants and and things like that going on. I don't know if you would agree with that, but it seems like there's some good opportunities out there for people who are trying to get into the property market and go on that journey. So what would you say to someone who's building up their deposit or got some money set aside and knowing that you've been doing some amazing stuff in that low deposit market for first home buyers, what are some of the things they should be thinking about? I think initially... You just want to take a breath Mm. before you jump because there's some things to really consider. And firstly, it's making sure you've got a really good team of professionals around you. So in our space, when someone contacts me, we spend a really good 20, 25 minutes just getting to the narrative for them. Like, what does this mean? Where is this home? And sometimes you actually need to speak that out so you can actually, Mm. by speaking it, start the design of it. So if you're not going to go to someone, get a piece of paper and just start writing out what this home means, where it is, what it looks like, how many rooms, and just get to understand what your want is. And once you understand that want, then you can actually think, well, what's the next step? And the next step is always about borrowing capacity. Mm. And look, there are some better lenders than others. And I had this as a part of my own purchasing experience. You know, um, we went through Clover Financial and I'll plug Phoebe because if it wasn't for Phoebe, you know, her ability to create a financial solution extraordinary you've got to have it's okay to get a lender but you don't want just a lender you need good lend you need a good lender so make sure you've got a good lender get your uh, financial capacity understand what your borrowing capacity is even prior to that spend three or four months just cleaning up that spending you know we've got a client that recently came to us he's been gambling don't gamble yeah and so many people don't understand how forensic banks oh. are these days and if you're going through a broker and i'll give a shout out to phoebe as well i'm going to get her along on the show as well but mm. they are forensic they'll see sports bet on there and all of a sudden they'll go hmm what's what's this person doing where's, where's yeah. this money going oh casino oh what, why are they making cash withdrawals at the casino where'd that money go all of it anything that they consider nefarious is a no 
So you want someone that's a good lender, great at what they do, understands the space. Phoebe's been doing it for 20-odd years, so you know you're in good hands. Get your borrowing capacity and then kind of understand if you want to go that high. We always say to our clients, look, you've got lending up to 800000 here, but we don't suggest that you do that. You want to just peel it back a bit because remember the object of the exercise is to actually get into your first home and have it be a really comfortable financial experience. Yeah. Like you don't want to draw blood by moving into your first home. You want it to be something that you can financially get your head around, get settled in. And we say to our clients, look, let's just consider this as your first home. Once you're in there and you're stable, and in a couple of years' time, we'll say that, gee, isn't that a great investment property? Let's set that to one side and then let's look for your next property. And, you know, sometimes it's about just not getting so emotional about that alfresco area, just peeling that back a bit. I mean, I think you'll agree with me that you don't want to do all your day. You just want to go gently. And look, the bonuses that are around at the moment are incredible. There's the the first-time homebuyers grant, obviously. There's the um, government initiative where they're going to cover LMI and um, the deposit amounts up to yep, 20%. first-time deposit scheme. Yep. Yeah. Now, that's an interesting scheme. I spoke to my one of my lenders about that the other day, and a lot of those initiatives have been taken up. So if you want mm. to get into the space, please go ahead and do that immediately. And then there's a the builder's bonus of $25,000. Now, I was with a land agent about three weeks ago who wanted to convince my client that they should overextend themselves onto a Mm. piece of land and then use the $25,000 when it comes in. Please don't do that. Firstly, the legislation around it is a bit weak. Mm. They've only um, expended, I think, about 217, maybe 250 of these bonuses to purchases. And it was quite rushed, wasn't it? It was a really clever thing to do, but it's governed by the State Revenue Office. And Melanie, that does the show with me at Southeast Lawyers, read the legislation and she said, look, basically the legislation says, we'll pay you if you feel like it. Oh, great. Yeah. (laughs) And and we can change our minds at any time. And you kind of ended up like, so we say to our clients, Look, if you get it, that's a great thing, but do not include it as part of your borrowing. Mm. Don't extend yourself hoping you're going to get that money in. If you get it, yeehaw, hallelujah, put it wherever you like, put it on your mortgage, which is what the intent is, but don't include it. So there is that scheme as well, which is fantastic. The other thing, though, what we've noticed is that there's huge vigour in the market and that's creating a lot of anxiety for clients. Mm. If the builder's bonus is not a big deal and you know you can get some time to wait, wait, because there's going to be land that will probably be reduced, we think, in the first quarter of next year unless the government extend the builder's bonus because as soon as the government announced the $25,000 builder's bonus, the only thing that really happened in Melbourne was all the land went up 25 to 30 grand. So people are out there fighting to get this and putting themselves under some extraordinary pressure to make sure that they get the builder's bonus. And really, if they waited a couple of months to the other side, they might get some really good deals on the land, which otherwise wouldn't be realised. So Mm. there's that as a consideration too. I I love what you said there around playing your own game and playing to your own own strengths in that don't get caught up in the emotion of it. Make sure, especially if it is your first home, often reflect on conversations I've had with my parents over the years. They didn't have brand new furniture. 
they didn't have all the things. And I've, I've gone into clients' houses before or had conversations with clients and said, oh, we, we're struggling to save our deposit or whatever it might be. And then you look around the lounge room and brand new everything. And I'm like, yep, awesome. Okay, yeah, there's 100 grand. There's, Easily. there's your deposit. <laughs> and so I think lifestyle today, and again, without judging generations and looking at different things in that regard, there is more of that wanting everything now. And so again, if you do it as a part of your framework and, and do it as a stepping approach, as you say, and, and get your structuring right, where you buy something that can be then turned into an investment property really easily, then that can be a great way to start on that journey of creating your wealth and being in a house that you can at least bear and, and stabilise with initially, but then start on that equity journey as you go. So yeah. Absolutely. And it's about it being an enjoyable financial experience. You know, money's cheap right that. now. And that's an incredible, look, I don't think you get a better condition in which to buy a property. Do you agree? Mm. No, definitely not. In this yeah, time and, and moment, like interest rates being so low and uh, Reserve Bank making announcements saying we're not going to increase rates for another three years, it is very much a, a time to if you've got serviceability, be able to borrow. And so, again, it's it's doing it, though, within that parameters of your lifestyle and what's important to you. Don't do it if you're going to then not have the lifestyle as well. I was talking to a, a mortgage broker, uh, not Phoebe, a, a while ago, and she was saying that she's seen some areas where people have then racked up all this credit card debt and trying to get out of that is then a horrendous train to, to get on. So that's where that foundation of cash flow is so important. You know, the other thing that we're finding as well is tenuous employment. Mm. And we're find, we're really vetting our clients around their employment status because it's okay to have a job today, but you just want to know that there's some real rigor under that as well, that you're going to be. We always start our questioning with how long have you been there? How does mm. it feel set for you? And we do that. And if they've got any hesitations around that, we say, look, why don't we revisit this in four or five weeks? That's so because it would be nothing worse to be put into a brand new home and then losing your job while you're going through that um, purchasing process. So that's something to be mindful of too before you go out there and jump into that market, just to know that your employment sound, you feel really good, you've been with the job for a long time, even run it past your boss. Look, I'm looking at purchasing a home, you know, things are changing. How do you feel about the market, our marketplace over the next couple of years? And just get some considerations there inside of that too. So we're very point blank about that as well. Um, and then the rest is just diving in getting wet in the the property space and for us we always make sure and I say this as a guide and I you don't have to come through us as a firm but I want you to look at when you're buying a home that it's a fixed price mm. full turnkey property I'm going to say that again yeah. it's fixed price full turnkey so that means fences driveways gardens blinds, everything's included. Look, we heard a story recently. I've got a sister that works out in one of the corridors and she said, you know, you'll get someone go to site and they've somebody found a brush or a tree or something on the land that they weren't expecting. A client got a post-contract variation of $12,000 to move this shrub or tree wow. or whatever it was. Mm. That kills a deal. And you see, if you get a post-contract variation, which means you've paid the 5 or 10% deposit on the bill, and then you get a post-contract variation, what that can end up doing is financially 
putting you under duress and stress that you otherwise weren't expecting. If you get a fixed price full turnkey home, if there are any anomalies, the builder has to pay it. If the builder mm. goes to the land and he finds Noah's Ark and the sunken chest of Popeye the pirate, he's got to pay to have it taken mm. away. He should yeah. fix it, not you. Mm. So please be mindful of that when you're looking at buying a home, that it's a fixed price full turnkey and have them pointed out for you. Do not give them a deposit until they've shown you where that is. Great tip there. And and I, I guess that is, especially because a lot of these grants are connected to, to brand new builds and, and brand new construction. And so especially even if you're comparing apartment market then to house and land. And so I'm probably opening up another whole episode in, in talking about apartment airspace versus, versus house and land. And, again, it does depend on area, but I've heard horror stories in condensed or denser postcodes where lending just then doesn't work because, I guess, especially for listeners, keep in mind you can sign a contract and get pre-approval, but pre-approval just means that. It's pre-approved. It means when you get to settlement, that's when the bank actually looks at you again and goes, right, can you actually afford this borrowing? So as Elizabeth was saying before, if anything's changed, if your work isn't secure anymore, if your income's dropped, they'll pick all that stuff up and say, right, we actually won't lend you the money anymore or we'll now value the property and, oh, sorry, you've got to come up with another $30,000 or $40,000 to complete the purchase. Have you got a, a quick apartment versus uh, Look, house and I land? Just, I love house and land packages because <laughs> it's land, right? And mm. land depreciates, houses depreciate. Mm. So that means that land actually goes up in value. And, you know, I trained in the London market. So if you had land, you were a multi-millionaire. Mm. But here in Melbourne, if you go 35, 40 minutes down the road, you can still buy a house and land package for 570000 600000 so if we were to compare that with a two-bedroom apartment in and around where I live, which is Bentley, you know, you'd pay 580 for a two-bedroom apartment around here, I would put a client to a house and land package all day long because of that land, because that land goes up in value and because of the density. You know, we look at population trends and growth. And sure, you know, we lost, I think, something like 250,000 temporary visa holders. And we normally get 240,000, 300,000 people in every year, but that's stopped. But look, our employment and the fact that we're a major city, all of that stuff still lends people to wanting to move in here. So we're still mm. going to see growth. So, of course, it's going to be a house and land. And obviously, look, it'd like your practice as a financial planner, you might, you have to look at the numbers and you have to look at the trajectory. Well, we will do that inside of that for an investment client. You've still got to make sure it's in a good land estate by a good builder and that there's not in a land estate where there are no covenants and hundreds of other investment properties. But you get a property in a really good house and land package in a wonderful development and a key growth area in Melbourne. You just have to sit back and it makes you money. Yeah, very true. And you don't have to look back at it. You just have to make sure there's a tenant. And if it's in a good land estate, it just rents and the renters all line up down the road and they say, can I rent your property? And you make money and you go, thanks very much. I'll have another one of those now, please. Thank you. Yeah, and, and that's where that real, and we will do another episode on the investment and the capital growth journey in that regard. But once you've built up that equity, that's where you can then use that again to to invest and to start that journey on creating 
multiple sources of, of wealth and an asset because often our house, although it's a, a, an asset value and it does sit on your balance sheet as, as an asset, it's a, a very lazy asset <laughs> unless you're renting out your, your second bedrooms or, uh, or jumping on Airbnb, it isn't generating income for you. So as a technical term of investment, it doesn't actually do that for you at the end of the day. What I like about you though too, Scott, you're about uh, not putting eggs into one basket too. Mm. So how have you found your current, I mean, this is just purely selfish. I want to know how you're finding (laughs) your marketplace at the moment too. How's stocks and shares performing? There's definitely volatility there, but there's still, since there was a major adjustment in in March 2020, it's bounced back. So we're seeing volatility again now because of the US election. But I think because things have stabilised and governments are throwing more money at things, there seems to be a bit of stability happening there. The difference from this time around to the global financial crisis is that people don't really have anywhere to go because cash rate when the GFC happened was 9%. So people could go, oh, we're going to cash out of our shares now because they're liquid assets and we can get out of them quickly. And they're getting rewarded straight away with high interest rates at, at 7 or 8%. They slowly came back down, but in current market where interest rates are, are very flat, we're now at this point of maybe getting one5 or 2% on your cash savings. Investors need to go somewhere. And so income return wise or yield wise like what would you say elizabeth is a is a good yield to get on the on the property front at this juncture oh, or stage you're like oh God. are we looking at fours or are we are we looking at threes what's oh, fours yeah. <laughs> you're like, i hate talking yields don't hold me don't hold me to this don't hold me to it um look i don't i don't like talking about yields i'll tell you why because a property's like it's a set and forget mm. I put clients into Ballarat five years ago and he was crying. He was like, oh, I don't understand why we're here. But mm-hmm. he's grown exponentially quietly mm. and that market over COVID has just exploded. So the house that he bought from me five years ago has probably doubled. Mm. But it's about a sound investment in a sound area that's like you're in your particular space as well. You can't open up the entire market and expect a good return. Mm. You've got to be very, very picky about where you put that. So, Yeah, yeah and I think the big thing, yeah, is, is the long-term view. But people often forget the media talks about property market in Australia or the Australian property market, and there's, I don't know, 80, 100 different property markets in Australia. And so they're all doing different things at different times and we'll have hopefully some listeners in in Canberra as well because um, that's where I've got a a lot of clients too. But the Canberra market has been going cracking, like just cracking along this year Um, and much to surprise, I had a few clients who have retired and sold and then they're moving to, to Queensland or otherwise. And they were really shocked. They were, oh, look, it's COVID. We're I know, just come out of lockdown. Are we going to be able to sell? And they've been getting stellar prices on things and people are still buying. And so the same fundamentals apply, I guess, when we're looking at those elements. But it is about looking at, as you say, the different markets and doing your numbers, as you said before, like, does this add up? Does this stack up? Can we afford it? Yeah. Numbers are key. And if you don't do your numbers, you're kind of flying blind. It's mm. it's like getting on a plane without a destination. Without them, you've got no way of knowing what way to go. Yeah, you're right. You know, I had Terry Ryder on Got Money and mm. um, he, you know, God, he was pretty rugged on the last show, actually, because... 
people get their news or their updates from the mainstream media sources. And really, these guys don't work in our spaces. Mm. They don't work in the property space. They're not really familiar with the market. And there's a propensity for them to bad news if Mm. they look at a secular area. And in actual fact, the market's exploded. There are still great areas performing very, very well, regardless of COVID. I mean, mm. if we had Kate Bacos on, she'd say the established real estate market was is about to explode. Mm. But the narrative out there in mainstream media is not that. So you've really got to be careful about where you get your information from too. I think that's mm. why I commend you for doing this show because you're at the foreface of what's happening in your own marketplace as I am in mine. I'm glad you're doing it, mate. Thank you. It is my pleasure because I, I love sharing this information and I love being able to educate people. And And I think in pulling some of those concepts and things we've talked about today together, have you got some top three or even just top couple of things, just if we rehash on those and I'm paraphrasing again, but I guess it is about outcome first. And I always say to people, set your framework, well, play your game. Don't get sucked into what other people are thinking. Don't get caught up in those things. I think a piece of paper and a pencil always to start. Mm. Get it out of your head. Yep. Get it into get it get it out so you can actually see it. Because actually, guys, get your numbers done. Secondly, just because then you know what you're dealing with. The other thing is too, don't be afraid to ask questions. There are no dumb questions when you're buying a property. And if you feel like you're with a practitioner that you cannot ask questions with, you're with the wrong practitioner. And when you ask those questions, always do them in writing. Do not have a dialogue with somebody over the phone, accept what they say and believe that to be truth. Do everything in writing. I say to my clients, there'll be a point inside of this where I stop calling you and we just start writing to each other. And that's to protect you, but it's also to protect the builder. It's also to protect me. So there's no ambiguity in what's happening in the process. And if you're with a practitioner that doesn't want to do it in writing, you're with the wrong practitioner. You know, there are a lot of other anomalies in the space. Surprises are for birthday parties, not for property transactions. Oh, I like that. Do you like it? Yeah, that is really good. Thanks. Surprises sure, you can use it. Yeah, um, I'll steal that one. Yes, no, please take it. If you're with a practitioner or you're engaging in purchasing anything, and it might be stocks or shares or insurance or any of those things, and you, your practitioner isn't telling you about what's going to happen next, then you're in trouble. Mm. You need someone that literally tells you the path that you're about to walk on, not while you're walking on it. I spend hours on the phone with my client, particularly when they're in the purchasing phase. They hear from me every day for me to say to them, we've looked at the contract, well, this is what we're doing next. Mm. Surprises are for birthday parties, not for property transactions. It's yours. I love it. Getting your T-shirts printed. Fantastic. They'll be uh, be online uh, and available. (laughs) via Elizabeth's uh, Instagram and uh, website. We'll uh, we'll add the details to our our show notes. But look, Elizabeth, I I really do appreciate you coming along today and and sharing your insights into the property space there. As you say, we could probably do a hundred different shows on the context and, and content that's available there. But hopefully people have been able to pick up a few great tips around what to start thinking about, especially if it's their first property transaction and what really tips and traps and things to to be mindful of. But I think the big things, as you've said, are don't be emotive around it. Make sure that you're doing it to your game plan. Don't get caught up in what everybody else is doing and stay the course if you're going through volatile times. Look, thank you so much again. Great to chat. 
Thank you, mate. um, Thanks for having me on the show. Appreciate it. Love it. See you all soon. Cheers, mate.